0: Along with us, uh, Jesus' little community, which started off with just you know, a couple dozen folks in Jerusalem, has gone global, especially in the last few chapters, and uh, in chapter 16 we find Paul pressing uh, the good news of Jesus into the world, and he's got plans. He's got plans, man. He tries to go north, can't go north. Tries to go south, no can do, because God's got his own plans. And uh, that involves people who need help. So the question for tonight, uh, which is pretty explicit in the text, is this. Do you think that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is actually helpful? Really helpful in your life and in the life of other people. Okay? I'm going to pick up in verse 6 in chapter 16, and we're going to read the rest of it. It's sort of a busy, frantic. Man, a lot of stuff's happening. This is pretty exciting. Here we go, verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia in Galatia, having been forbidden by the Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they'd come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. And so passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the next day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. And we remained in this city for some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you judge me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. And Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disrupting our city, the advocate. Customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or to practice. And the crowds joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. And having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. The prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing the prisoners had escaped. And Paul cried with a loud voice, "'Do not harm yourself, for we are all here.' And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, "'Sirs, what must I do to be saved?' And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him, and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police, saying, Let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go, therefore come out and go in peace. But Paul said, They beat us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens. They've thrown us into prison. Do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. And the police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers... They encouraged them and departed. All right, please pray with me. Our Lord, we pray and ask you be kind in our weariness, in our busyness, in our dullness, that you be kind to draw near and uh, show us your goodness. We ask that your gospel would be what it appears and says to be in this text, which is truly, really helpful to us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Quick question How many of you have ever had a call 911? Borough or? Township. Township, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so 911 uh, is something you really take for granted. It really is. It's amazing if you think about it. Uh, help is readily available. Like three numbers, and someone on the other end says, Help is on the way. That's amazing, actually. That's like never existed anywhere else in the history of the world. <laughs> Seriously, you don't seem surprised. You should really think about it sometime. It's amazing. <laughs> uh, but sometimes the help that you really need, you need before you even need know you need it. That's really important. I'm going to say it again. Sometimes the help you really need, you need before you even know you need it. Do you understand? I'll give you an example. When I was 14, I can't remember exact age, I just know that I was insecure enough to try to use this family potential tragedy as a means of trying to get a girl to like me. Somewhere between like 9 and 30. 27. <laughs> 12, 13 maybe. Um, Anyway, what happened was my family and I were awakened early in the morning, 3 or 4 a.m., by by two men alerting us that our home was on fire. I grew up sort of rural poor. We all had wood stoves. Chimneys caught on fire fairly regularly. Our chimney caught on fire, and the chimney was not in good condition. And so the fire leaked out into the interior aspects of the roof. And by the time we were groggily waking ourselves up and getting dressed, I noticed that the frame around my bedroom window was on fire. It was already working itself into the second floor of the home. And so we eventually get outside, and the guys that had woken us up had disappeared, which seemed a little strange, until we got into the yard and looked up, and there they were on the roof trying to put the fire out. They'd already called 911. And so the fire department was on the way from next door, because my next-door neighbor was a fireman. Uh, This was a great example, actually, that uh, before we even knew we needed help, it was on the way. And it was at hand. And it was at work. And without all of that, I'm not sure I'd be here. Rural plural. There's no fire alarms or extinguishers in our home. I'm not sure I'd be here. Uh, Tonight in our text, we meet people uh, that need help. They're very different people from one another, maybe even from us, with very different needs. And and the question is simple. Can the gospel help them? Do we believe the gospel, the good news of Jesus, can actually help them and people like them? And we're going to see that the help came to them and for them before they even knew they needed it. And it came in the form of the gospel. And that the good news of Jesus is real help, friends, in a world of hurt. That's the main point tonight. It's pretty simple. But the good news of Jesus is real help in a world of hurt. I think, though, we actually really need to wrestle with this because we tend to divorce some of our spiritual lives from every other part of us and think, oh, help me spiritually, but the rest of it's up to me. Real help, friends. So talk real quick about uh, gospel-sent help, who the gospel helps, and how the gospel helps. But first... It's God sent help. You you see that at the very beginning of this story where you see all these cities being named. And what's going on is Paul and his traveling companions are being cornered. They're trying to take the gospel to different places Asia, Europe. And whether they go north or south, Jesus is saying, No, you can't go there. They already came from one direction, only leaves one left. And uh, in the night, uh, Paul's given a vision. A guy from Macedonia, it's not a very subtle vision. Uh, hey, you, come here and help us. And uh, he wakes up the next morning and says to his companions, I, I, I really think God wants us to go to Macedonia. <laughs> and they think about it together, they considered, and they do. They go. Uh, a couple of interesting things, though, about their going in verse 10. Immediately, we sought to go. First, grammar nerds, maybe you noticed this, no one else did. There's a pronoun in there that should jump out. Anybody see it? Verse 10. No, so I thought. <laughs> Engineers! Man, y'all suck. <laughs> anyway, uh, we, we. Yeah, man. What does that mean? That means Luke's there. Luke, the author, the doctor, the historian, the guy who wrote this book, traveling missionary with them, First-hand account. He's there. He actually shows up in and out of the rest of the story as he travels with Paul. And secondly, the thing that jumps out to me is that they leave immediately. Once it becomes clear that God wants them to go, they don't sit around and talk about it. They just... Get busy going. This is what God wants us to do. And the, the last thing that really jumps out is that when he receives this vision of someone asking for help, he assumes that the form of help that he's being called to bring is the gospel. We concluded that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now there's all kinds of help that's needed in the world. Financial help, material help, disaster relief, help, all kinds of other, and it's all really important. But here, it was God's will to send help in the form of the gospel. Now, here's a question for you. I know you all got places you want to go. I mean, maybe not right now, although that's quite possible, too. But this summer, this week, and you know, being forward-thinking career types, In your career. Are you willing. To be redirected. If God makes it abundantly clear to you. That there is a pressing need. That he wants you. You. To meet that need. By bringing the gospel. The good news help to people. Are you willing. To be redirected. And I'll start small. Are you willing to be redirected for one hour? Exams are coming up. You're in the library. You're studying. Next table over. Someone's in absolute hysterics. Melting down. Not hard to imagine, right? You've seen it. I've seen it. She needs help. He needs help. You don't know how to help. But if God lays it on your heart, are you willing to be redirected from your itinerary for that day for one hour to go help them? How about one week? Spring break mission trip, Something like that. What about one summer? One summer of the many, let's say, 80 summers that God may grant you in your life. Or, maybe everything. The whole caboodle. Maybe I'm just going to trust that perhaps he's calling me to something entirely different. I don't know what it is. That's very scary. That's certainly not the case for all of us. But what if he is? I'm not saying he is. All I'm asking is, are you willing to be redirected if God is intending to send you as help to people who need it? Let's look real quick at who the gospel helps. This is what jumps off the page to me, man, because these people are so different from one another. Three very different people. And here I'm borrowing uh, some thoughts from uh, an old pastor named John Stott. The first person we meet in verse 13 is a wealthy religious person. Uh, Paul does what he does on Sundays, on Saturdays, Sabbath days. He looks for a place uh, to worship, and there is no synagogue, it would seem. There's a place of prayer down by the river when he gets there. It's, it's all women, it seems. And he meets a Lydia, in verse 14, from Thyatira, seller of purple goods. That makes sense. Historically, we know this is a place where all kinds of purple clothes, extravagant clothing was produced. She is an immigrant merchant. She's from Thyatira. And she's a business person who's living long-term here in, uh, in Philippi. And we learn in verse 15 that she's a worshiper of God. This is not just a general spirituality. This is the formal term for Someone who's not Jewish, believing in the Jewish God, following the law, doing pretty much everything she can do except for actually go to the temple and become fully Jewish. And she's a really pious one. I mean, here she is out at church, even when there's not a church, uh, on a Sabbath morning. And so, uh, you know, in American terms, Lydia seems to have it. I mean, she's economically secure. She's good for now. And she's religiously devout. She's good for later, right? So uh, she's set, right? What does she need? What kind of help could Lydia possibly need? Well, uh, I I didn't really have a a great term for this one, but I'm going to offer an intellectual need as a possibility. Uh, In verse 14, she hears Paul. uh, And maybe she's willing to entertain this outsider with his strange ideas and claims about Jesus because perhaps she is still searching, still looking for something. And in verse 14, we read that God opens her heart to pay attention. That's really interesting language, and it's really important language because over and over, all over the Bible, frankly, God talks about the importance of the heart. And uh, actually, I'll talk about this quite a bit during that Brain, Self, and God seminar. The Bible doesn't really differentiate between heart and mind. And uh, what What's really going on here is God is opening her heart, her mind, to see and know uh, true spiritual reality, who he is. And the Bible's really clear that this is something that she can't do on her own. In the Old Testament, you get terms like circumcised heart. That's a weird one. But basically, you don't do that to yourself. Or heart of flesh, or a new heart. Uh, this is something, this is a work that God has to do. And uh, this also is part of the the big picture that in the Bible, in Christianity, uh, God's not after the best possible version of you. He's not demanding the best version of you. What he's after is a new you. You're not called to like spruce yourself up and present yourself to God as the best you can. Actually, no, he wants a new heart. That's what he does. You can't always make that happen on your own. Actually, you can't. This is what he does. And then you begin to be more and more like Jesus. Lydia has come as far as she can on her own. And now, on a Sabbath out by the river, miles outside of town, far from her own home, Jesus meets her there. And she finds what she's been looking for. And I just want to draw one other thing to your attention real quick. I mean, it's really odd that it would happen this way. Or is it? She's out by the river and some Jewish guy shows up and... Starts talking about Jesus. Is that odd or not? Actually, it's not. This is exactly the way God promised to work that He calls people to Himself and gives them new life when strange men show up and read the Bible and talk out of it. He chose to do it this way. It's pretty weird. Everyone walking by thinks it's weird. Um, This means, though, it's exceptionally important that you drag yourself here and invite others to do so as well because this is the way God decided that He wants to work. And bring people to himself. Uh, the next person we meet is uh, really interesting. And uh, that is an exploited and spiritually wrecked person. In verse 16, on a Sabbath morning, Paul is met by a slave girl. That's about the worst possible position you could have in the ancient world. The two things, slave girl. You put those two together and there's pretty much not a worse position you could have in the ancient world just completely no benefit to that position whatsoever can't get much worse verse 16 who had a spirit of divination okay that's worse actually she's uh not only owned by people that don't care for her she's also spiritually owned she's spiritually oppressed uh, scholars think that she, uh, the locals would attribute what's happening to her spiritually to the god Apollo, whose uh, area of expertise was fortune-telling, telling the future, and uh, we would just consider this demonic activity. But uh, in verse 16, we see that this particular possession, which oppresses her, brings her owners much gain. And now that's the worst of it. I mean, she has like the worst position and a terrible situation, but people are gaining off of her suffering. She's being exploited. She's doubly owned, doubly exploited. And on top of all that, she's highly annoying. For days to days, she follows around Paul, yelling at the top of her voice, Listen to these guys! And uh, Paul has enough of it. And he ends it quickly because a demon possessed girl shouting at you is a less than ideal witness to the veracity of what you're talking about. So he, he ends this. Uh, it actually says it takes a couple days. I wonder what took him so long. Maybe he knows what would happen if he'd get thrown in jail. I don't know. But what's her need? It's a little hard maybe for you to figure out what Lydia's need was. I don't know. But uh, what about her? It seems like everything, right? Doesn't she like, need everything? Well, we can't do everything at once. So I will focus on the psychological. She has been cruelly exploited. Personally and spiritually. Personally by our owners. Spiritually um, by the Spirit. And when you were exploited, especially in these ways, it destroys, it disintegrates your sense of self, your identity. I mean, who is she? Does she even know who she is? But, Paul... Speaking as an apostle, servant of Jesus, liberates her, sets her free. And, and the text doesn't make it clear, but it's pretty strongly implied that this story is sitting where it does between Lydia and the guy we're about to meet next. That given what happens to them, that a similar thing happens to her, that this young woman is saved by the gospel. And if that's true, that means then that this God who sets her free is a God that knows her name. She's just a nameless slave girl. No, this God knows your name. And he cares for her. And he sets her free. And he's willing to move in and dwell into a heart that's been filled with darkness. This is the beginning of an all new life for her. And we see that gospel brings real help to her. To the exploited. To the psychologically wrecked. In doing this, Paul and Silas, uh, again, maybe they knew what they were getting into when they did this. and Maybe that's why they were slow. They upset an economic apple cart. Owners get really mad. Someone has to pay for this. And uh, the owners seem to know how to work the system pretty well. And uh, sure enough, it ends with Paul and Silas being tried publicly in a marketplace. Uh, you, all kinds of excavations have been done that have uh, verified the names and places of all these kinds of place, all these details. Luke's a good historian. Uh, they were tried, beaten badly, the text tells us, and thrown in jail. And that's where we meet the third character. And the third character, uh, I will call him the seasoned self-sufficient. Uh, it's a jailer. In verse twenty-three, he receives these well-beaten prisoners, and according to his instructions, and in, he uh, in verse twenty-four, he locks them up real good. Uh, they go in the inner the inner cell, and they're put in shackles. Um, you know, the magistrates want to make sure there's no more funny business. Now, as a jailer, he was almost certainly a former soldier. Um, I mean, it's the Roman Empire. Almost everybody was a former soldier. But uh, this is an occupation filled by former soldiers. Therefore, he's likely not from Philippi. Those guys were moved around quite a bit. And he certainly was a Roman citizen. This is a guy used to taking orders, his life was a practical one. Not a bad life. He's a Roman citizen. He's got some advantages, but he's a hard worker. He's seen the world a little bit. He's seen a lot in his lifetime. Probably a tough guy, right? Well, what help does he need? If if Paul's been sent all the way over to, to help people, what does this guy need? Now, if you asked him, he'd probably be like, I don't know, take care of myself. You Pay my mortgage if you like. Imagine him saying something like that. And yet, of all the three people we meet, He ends up the most desperate. I'm not saying he is the most desperate. Like the slave girl never asked for help. This guy is pleading for help. He ends up the most desperate. And it all sort of starts for him in verse 25. It starts with these weirdos being, you know, these Jewish weirdos, thrown into jail. That's weird because they don't usually come here beaten. But then they start singing hymns. Have you ever been to prison? Anybody ever been to prison? Anybody? Oh, come on, you're missing out. (laughs) There you go. So yeah. yeah, you don't have to like, Earn your way there. You can visit, by the way. Um, <laughs> if you visit, you will learn that prison's full of all kinds of people, including crazy people. And uh, it's possible at first he thinks these people are crazy. And then, if you listen to them, you know Paul's super educated and rational. See that in the next chapter, in chapter seventeen. They're not crazy, but they're singing hymns. After they just got beaten. When you get beaten like that, you don't sing anything. Uh, you just groan. Um, Whatever's going on is weird and sincere. and you probably can't account for that. And then a powerful earthquake strikes. That is common. actually, it's Asia Minor. Earthquakes happen all the time. But <laughs> it sets free every cell and all the shackles. Everyone's set free. That's not common. That's not a common- occurring feature of earthquakes. It doesn't <laughs> happen. It just magically all the locks bounce open. And uh, when this happens, this self sufficient, uh, worldly seasoned veteran uh, turns suicidal in a moment, in a minute. Verse 27, he's ready to fall on a sword because he knows his position in the world. He is a pawn in the great, mighty, merciless machine of Rome. This is what Rome is like. We have strict laws. You fall down on the job, your prisoners escape. You are going to die, and there is no escaping it. It's mighty, you're not going to outrun it, and you will not expect mercy from them. And so here he is, uh, about to kill himself, when now the third crazy thing happens. Paul yells out, hey man, don't do that, we're here. Like, Don't hurt yourself, we're here. Uh, strangest day in his life, I'm sure and uh, all of a sudden, in verse 29 and 30, the self-sufficient guy runs up, falls down, and says, what do I have to do to be saved? So what does this guy need? Or what did this guy come to see that he needed? And I think the the best word to summarize it in the end, again, this is Stott uh, saying this, is moral. It's a moral need. He didn't know it a minute ago, or five minutes ago. Five minutes ago, he would simply say I've done my job well I'm a good dad if he's a dad I follow all the requirements I even do the stuff the imperial cult requires of me even though I don't think Caesar's really a god um, but what's just happened in the last five minutes is he's come face to face with a power that's much greater than anything he's ever imagined it can spring whatever locket it wants to with precision and mercy That he would never expect. Might and mercy. Unlike anything he'd seen in his life. And what do you do when you encounter something much better, more powerful and merciful than you do? Well, you do what he does. You get down on your face. And you ask, uh, what do I have to do to get on your side? Because I've not been on your side my whole life. What do I have to do to get on your side? To be saved? So sum it up, who can the gospel help? Well, people from all kinds of different nations. They're from everywhere. Different classes, all the classes. Very, very different personal needs. And so I think it's better actually to ask the question differently. If that's the case, all kinds of nations, all kinds of classes, all kinds of needs. The question really then is this. Is there anyone that the gospel can't help? Is there anyone the gospel can't help? Are there any of you here right now and you're thinking, there's no one or nothing that can help me? Or there's some of you sitting here right now and you've got someone in your mind. Maybe they've come to mind as we've talked over the last 15, not we, I've, I've talked, over the last 15 minutes and come across some of these categories and you've thought, yeah, that sounds like them. But you've just sort of tended to assume there's nothing I can do to help them. Like, what can we do? Friends, there's no one. No one beyond God's help. Real quickly, though, how does the gospel help? How does the gospel help? And uh, the first point I want to make is really brief but important. The gospel helps really, but not completely. It's really important. Like, the gospel offers real help to all these people. But it's not all the help they're ever going to need. They're going to need more help. They are. And so uh, beware be of any soft-peddling TV champion evangelists that promise you that if you just do this or say this, that everything will go away. You know, we, so often in our childish, selfish prayers are like this. We, we want a genie in a bottle to fix our circumstances our classes, our exams, our procrastination, our bad decisions, and the consequences thereof. Sometimes he might do that. But the help he gives, friends, is personal. He wants to change you and your heart, your spirit. You can change your psychology. You can change your, your relationships. You can change your morality, your intellect. That's the kind of help that he really brings. Uh, another way the gospel helps is uh, what it does in bringing these people together. I read all the way through the end because I wanted to point out, one, frankly, one word. After Paul has made it clear to the magistrates, like, hey, you weren't supposed to do that. I think he didn't do it for himself. I think he did it for them. Not the magistrates, but everyone he leaves behind. Because he's leaving these people behind. And he doesn't want the stench of illegality. Like, oh, it's a crazy charlatan who got beat. These people belong to him. No, no. Paul's like, oh, no, man, we're legitimate and you have no right to treat me or them this way. Anyway, he's sort of clearing the way for them. But once he's released, he doesn't like flee out of town. Verse 40 tells us that he remains uh, and uh, goes and sees Lydia and uh, sees the brothers. Footnotes might say ancestors. Basically, well, who is that? Well, it's Lydia and her household. Probably the slave girl and the jailer in his household. I mean, there are no others. He just got there like a couple days ago. They're family already. But that's what the gospel does. These are really different people. (laughs) They probably didn't know each other before. Maybe the jailer heard about this crazy woman walking around the streets yelling for days. Oh, yeah, it's that crazy possessed woman. Well, now they're family, as is Lydia. This is what the gospel does. It draws different people together and gives them one another. And they're going to need one another. And the last thing about this, the help that this thing brings, and it's probably perhaps the best news, is that it's free. Everybody's offering help, friends. You have classes offering help, religions offering help, programs offering help, doctors offering help, they might be helpful. But all of them require something. All of them want your money. All of them want and require something. But the help Jesus gives is a gift. Last week in that sermon when we were here in Acts 15, it took a long time, as you may remember, to make a very clear point. that The church established with finality that the work that Jesus does in saving people is all grace from beginning to end. No one is qualified and there is no extra credit allowed by anyone ever. You are saved by grace and only by grace. That's what Acts 15 is. And chapter 16 is the lab. That was the lecture. This is the lab. Let's take that onto the field and see what happens. Well, the spiritual seeker finds grace. She wasn't even looking for it. Well, she was, but it like, dropped in on a doorstep unannounced. And this slave girl finds It finds her. And the jailer finds it. And they all receive the gift of Jesus free. Like all gifts, even the greatest of gifts, you can only receive them. You can't earn them. And so the gospel, friends, is real help. It's God-given and received by faith. So now I want to play a game. It's a very serious game, though. Okay. So uh, in this story, interesting enough, I think Philippi, I've think never been to Philippi. But I can imagine Philippi is a little bit like Pittsburgh. Philippi was not a capital. It was a leading city in its district. But it was very cosmopolitan. All kinds of people came there. It was like Pittsburgh. Like, not DC, but all kinds of people come here. Things known in the region. And, uh, you know, if you're, especially if you're down here in Oakland, it seems like no one's actually from here. Everyone's from outside of Philly. Um, and so, yeah, all kinds of people are here, right? Just like in Philippi. Well, who are you in this story? Which one's you? I mean, certainly you know people like these people. The sincere seeker looking for God, searching. Um, the person that's been exploited and used and still trying to get over it. Maybe it was her family. Maybe it was someone else. Maybe it's a boyfriend. Those that are in psychological, mental anguish because of the way they've been treated. And, I mean, the, the third category, the uh, self-reliant hard worker. Man, that's like the whole city's history, right? I'll take care of my business, and uh, I'll take care of my business. I mean, that's, that's our city, right? Well, which one are you? Because all three of these people needed Jesus. And I have a working theory, actually, about pit students. You're not going to like this one. And it's that uh, for many of you, the answer to this question is you are all three at once. Oh, no there are exceptions of course but really sincerely seeking something spiritually looking for more in life well if you're here you probably qualify and uh, working hard minding my own business doing what I'm supposed to do it all work out well yeah that's part of the ethos if you didn't like that you probably wouldn't live here <coughs> but the uh, emotionally messy falling apart not quite sure who I am occasionally allowing myself to be used by others that's not me Except sometimes it is on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and after an exam. I don't know. Maybe it's not true, but for some of you it is. But here's the deal no matter who you are, you have a need. And Jesus has sent help. And not some other help, He sent Himself. He came, and He lived, and He died for His people. And then when it was all over, what do you do? He sent help, (laughs) still. He sent people like me, frankly. Maybe not the best help. And what do I do? Well, I'll point you to Jesus. Because he's the one that can help. And friends, even now in this period, busy, stressed, whatever you may be wrestling with, Jesus is your best helper. He really is. And for you that are surrounded by so many needy friends, you can't fix everything you're not called to. But you can offer them, Jesus, who is their best help? All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray you be kind to draw near to us and show us, again, how you're a great helper,